This is ESPN College Football Analyst Rini Angolia, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective as we give you another great show with us, ladies and gentlemen. He's back from vacation. He sounds well-rested, and he rode the uh, train around Sweetsea Railroad. Kyle from LaGrange Barber, how are you, dude? I don't know about vacation, dude. It was a little little two-day trip to the, to the mountains, to the snowy high country. Uh, I'm back, and I'm better than ever. All right, well, we know that. And uh, Bubba Rosenbaum, what's up, dude? Not a whole lot. I've been watching a little football, the Cheez-It Bowl, a, a heck of a ball game between Oklahoma State and Miami. Um, the Cowboys pulled it out by a field goal after leading by three touchdowns early on, and I'm going to check out some of the Texas-Colorado game uh, here in a little while. Hey, guys, do you guys prefer Cheez-Its, Cheese Nips, Golden Cheese, or Goldfish? Cheez-It. Cheez-It also. I bet Bubba's a goldfish guy. Cheese it, cheese it also. No, cheese it as well. I can see, uh, see Stacy packing a to, lunch to be for honest, you. I, I, yeah, to, to, what I was about to say is that um, I really don't eat a whole lot of any of them. Um, but if I'm if I'm really hungry and I have some uh, some cheese it's around, like uh, I think it's cheese it's that have been coming in the, the lunches that have get that have gotten sent home with the kids um, during during this school year with everything that's going on. And so I, I have eaten a little more than usual. So you're nah, eating your I, kids' lunch? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're eating your kids' lunch? They're, they're free lunches um, that, that they are not eating. Um, I eat the, the leftover cheeses so they don't go to waste. Okay. Hey, Kyle, uh, how, how many yeah, times have you heard uh, him going to Chick-fil-A now you don't even have to go to Chick-fil-A you can just get some cheeses yeah I don't I don't know what one has to do with the other but I um I, I do uh <laughs> I, I do I do <laughs> I'm just saying he doesn't have to travel my point to bring the two things up you don't have to travel anymore to Chick-fil-A <laughs> right he can just get he can just get his cheeses there from the school lunches <laughs> instead of going to Chick-fil-A to get his cheeses like, like you don't know, Hey, Kyle, like Coach Ruff said, no excuses, no explanations. Exactly. Um, but I, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry I asked which one you guys preferred. Um, I, uh, You know, growing up, uh, you know, in East North Carolina, Lance dominated the snack world back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I always used to eat the golden cheese, but I never, I didn't know they were called golden cheese until I was an adult. I always called them stop sign crackers. I never thought they're about that. Because they're in an octagon yeah. shape. Octagon. Yeah, I never thought yeah. about that. <laughs> Stop, son. I've never thought of it when I was a kid. <laughs> I'd be like, I tell my mom when she's going to the store, give me a bag of Stop, son. She knew what I was talking about. <laughs> they used to sell those at in high school at the lunchroom. So, like, 40, 50 cents. And yeah. I remember the girls that were eating with us, they would always, you know, they're wonderful diets, and they would get, like, sweet tea and a pack of those. That was their lunch, where the dudes, we were, like, eating, like, the wonderful square uh, pizzas and all the great uh, food that we were getting from the lunchroom. But they would always get, like, golden cheese and a... I thought you were going to say that the, uh, the the girls made you buy them a bag of golden cheese so you could sit with them. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I was not that bad off. But uh, (laughs) anyway, let's talk about something we do know about, and that's sports, hence the name of Sports Objective. And uh, guys, uh, just a weird time, but hopefully we can uh, definitely get into as far as uh, the basketball season. Uh, Bubba, I know that we've got a great guest. Let's talk about that, and then we'll start our roundtable. Yeah, we caught up with – Long-time play-by-play voice of the Wichita State Shockers, Mike Kennedy. Uh, he's been 
on the call for the Shockers um, in multiple sports since, I think, 1979. And he was an alumnus of Wichita State. Um, we talked a number of things, not only hoops. Uh, we still wanted to have him on um, to talk that, so even though there is no game on Wednesday night, unfortunately, but that will be rescheduled. But um, a tremendous conversation, talking on a variety of topics with Mike. Just amazing. He's such a great guy. You know, the we didn't plan on talking to him a long time, but he was a really good dude, and uh, he likes Corey Glore, so Corey's a good friend of the show. So uh, any friend of Corey's is a friend of ours, and uh, we'll definitely have Mike back on. A tremendous uh, man. Talk about a legacy. The dude, 41 seasons at one school is very impressive. Uh, I think it's thirty season 33 for – Jeff Charles is Jeff is uh, building that legacy as we speak right now. And guys, uh, I, have you guys heard any more about the Bubba? You and I were talking off air yesterday about the Tulane game. I would imagine that game's been going to be postponed. Don't you think? On what's the date? Saturday. It is Saturday, Saturday, January second, and I have not heard anything definitively. Um, and Johnny Gardner, loyal listener, um, did text me earlier today, and he he was saying that. Um, according to some things that he had heard um, that it looks like Saturday could still possibly happen. Uh, I think Oh wow. um, okay. it, it may have kind of been, um, I, and don't take this the wrong way. How, how can I word this? Well, uh, you know, with, with it's very unfortunate that someone tested positive um, that goes without saying, but um, as much as it can be uh, a blessing in disguise with it coming off, uh, you know, the Christmas break, I yeah. think, um, it may have limited some of the contact tracing impact. Okay. And, 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 and with that being the case, uh, we may still be able to play on Saturday. Um, but um, I've heard that Coach Dooley was contact traced. So if we do play Saturday, and this is just based on, you know, kind of connecting the dots and some things we've heard, um, you, you could see assistant head coach uh, Steve Rockefort making his debut. Okay, so yeah, I was about to say I wonder what had changed that uh, you know while we would be able to play this and not that, and, and not the Wichita State game. Uh, but if we were in the mix of trying to figure out contact tracing and it just found out Dooley had to be quarantined and trying to figure out who's going to run things, getting things straight with the assistant coaches, it makes sense that uh, maybe we'd be able to turn around and, and play the Green Wave. <laughs> Um, you don't want to get too many basketball games behind, although there is some built-in open weeks uh, yeah. to the schedule. I yeah. don't know if they coincide with, with Wichita and with Tulane, though. And you talk about the open weeks, and there are multiple, like you say, Kyle, and after Saturday, January 2nd's game um, down at Tulane, if that game is played, that is the only game we have scheduled between now and – Saturday, January 9th, when you happened, that it was at some point, um, it happened at a good time, um, as good a time as there could be, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Have you looked at Tulane and Wichita schedule? Do they have any open dates? Uh, yeah, I, I have not um, compared to see to see how that would go in, in terms of a potential makeup. Well, Wichita's a lot easier because if we can't make it up before, then we're just going to play two back-to-back uh, -back days in Wichita uh, in February. But Tulane, we've already played once. So we got to find a way to get this game in. Um, so hopefully we can't get it in on the second, that there's a, a date between the second and ninth where we can get it in. No question about it. We'll see about yeah, how. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. And uh, guys with uh... – a lot going on with uh, – I know, Bubba, you sent me a text – sent us a text earlier, SMU uh, women's basketball program. They've opted out. Duke uh, women's basketball opted out a week or so ago. Our good friend Chris Edwards said – We're getting closer and closer to the big dance every day. Yeah. So, the uh, women's team with Kim McNeil, uh, you know, the great thing about her team is the defense has been really good. It's been really stellar. And then you – the offensive starting to – to click and you have one less team to worry about. You don't have UConn anymore in the league. So uh, this might be a, we might find a way to, in other words, be a blessing in disguise as much as I can't stand COVID, obviously. Obviously. Then, uh, but this might be one thing that actually helps us in our favor. Yeah, I don't understand these teams opting out. This is nothing new. 
I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not in their situations. I don't know how stressful it is with the daily testing and, and all that. I'm not sure, you know, so don't want to act like I'm in that situation, but they, they, you know, they've gone through all this time practice and they've been doing all this BS since the spring to get to the point where you're, where, where you can play. And right. now that you're, you're at this point, now you're opting out, which it just really seems strange to me. But I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not those girls. I'm not the coaching staff. I, I don't know what it's like for them. So I don't want to speak too much out of turn, but it just seems like a strange decision that you make it this far and then you opt out. Um, for both SMU and Duke, so uh, yeah, like you're saying, Kyle, um, who who are we to judge not being in that situation? Um, but from afar, um, with with the regular with the regular testing, excuse me, and and everything um, they have to you know create as much of a bubble as possible, it seems like they would be in much better situation there. And uh, I know uh, numerous guests that we've had on college basketball analysts. Um, they really follow it closely. Um, uh, agree uh, that that the the young men or women would be better off staying there on campus. Um, you, you would love to see. I'm sure some would, um, you know, do the right things if they were if they were not on campus or you know, or um, back, you know back at home. But I'm sure that there would be a lot that would be uh, putting themselves much more in harm's way and not having the regular testing. So. Yeah, yeah, tough situ- tough situation. But I I would uh, if I was playing, I, I would certainly uh, choose to play. <laughs> yeah, it's not even you know about doing the right thing anymore. It's the damn virus has become so prevalent. You you can be doing the right things and still get it. I mean, it, it right, just, right, it just seems yeah. that way. But you yeah, know, something. Go ahead. If if I had some type of pre existing health condition that where definitely, it was, I mean that's that's one thing. But you know, just the whole team opting out. I, I don't, I don't agree with it. But like I said, who are we to judge? You know, something that's interesting. Something, something that's interesting is uh, about SMU and Duke are the only two major Division One schools that do this, and it's both college basketball for their women's teams. You know, obviously SMU Southern Methodist University, but is isn't Duke a Methodist school, or wasn't it established as such? Yes. <clears throat> yes. And so right. that's it, that's weird. I, is there anything that I mean? I'm being serious. This is going to sound like I'm, I'm being stupid, but. Is there anything to do with the Methodist faith and 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 females? I mean, I I don't. I mean, most of those girls probably aren't even Methodist, but right. it's I just think. I just find that weird. Just yeah. just a coincidence, you think? As far as right now, off on the surface, yeah. I mean, I, that's a great point. I haven't thought about both schools being the you know. Uh, I was trying Methodist to denomination, out. yeah. Right, and for me personally. Um, one of the things that's driving me crazy, guys, I want to get your thoughts, is a lot of talking heads are talking about it. So um, one of you, your, both of your opinions on it is the opting out of football players, especially um, I understand when, uh, when you brought this up earlier about opting out. I understand if you opt out at the beginning of the season. What I'm not a fan of, and I will be uh, uh, maybe I sound judgmental, I think it's nuts that you opt out in the middle of a season, uh, maybe, and it, it's not because I don't think it's what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's because of COVID. I think it's because you're not getting playing time. So you just opt out because you have the free year and maybe you go find something else in the transfer portal has over 600 players. So you know, I, about football or basketball football now football. Uh, well, I mean, it's not the middle of the season now. No, I'm saying, no, no, no. I understand that. I'm just saying there were guys that you can understand why they would opt out the beginning of the season if they had a pre-existing condition, something like that. But there were guys that would be one or two games left and they opt out. You know, it's like, why are you opting out now when you should have opted out at the beginning of the year? Well, it doesn't even matter. I mean, you get an extra year of eligibility. So opting out is really a moot point. It didn't even matter. Um, but I'm just saying the fact that you so have guys I are, I don't know why you do it, period. I mean, you <laughs> Yeah, I understand, but I don't even understand why, why you would do it at all because you get extra year of eligibility. Yeah. So I don't know why you would even bother opting out. Just finish out the damn year. I don't. I agree. I, the, I mean, just like the kids that transferred here from Arkansas. Right, Chase Hayden. Um, but speaking of another running back, um, we, uh, earlier, right, as we were opening the show, we were talking about Oklahoma State playing tonight. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, obviously, uh, was a preseason 
in uh, or early season uh, Heisman Trophy candidate and didn't have as good of a year as he had hoped. But I, I also think he may have had an injury, but but I know he opted out here two or three games ago. Yeah, I mean, but what is the point, Bubba? That's what I mean, I'm, you're getting extra I, I, I agree. Dave and I talked about that with, with Reeney. Um, and he certainly he certainly does not agree with it. Uh, he and I, I heard um, this is a college baseball guy talking about it, but Ben McDonald that, that pitched at LSU. And I then remember Ben McDonald when he pitched was it for the Orioles? Yep, he pitched for the Orioles as yeah. well. And um, I saw something he put on Instagram about it, and just and he said in his opinion, in most cases, that if you're quote opting out, he said. He said he totally understands people opting out for COVID, but if you're just opting out of a bowl game, in his opinion, then that's quitting on your team. If you're a senior, if you're a senior and, and you're going into the NFL draft and you're opting out of your bowl game, I don't agree with it in most years. This year, particularly if you're on a team with a losing record and you're in a bowl just to fill a bowl spot, I really don't give a crap. But most years, I don't agree with it. Uh, this year, to me, is a little different. If you're just opting out of the bowl, and particularly if you're on a team with a losing record and, and you're eligible for the draft. Now, if you're a sophomore or something like that, then I, if you opt out on me going into this ball game and you're an underclassman and you're planning on staying on my team, you might as well look to transfer because you just opted <laughs> out to many of your scholarships. Yeah, I – it's just something that's been bothering me because the very fact it's a team sport and I understand all the draft status and, and all that, but at the same time, I mean, we, uh, we have a situation where um, I know Rini and I were in a bubble. We were talking about what guys are not going to get maybe some seniors that are not going to be able to play next year because of uh, not enough spots, but that's a whole nother show. I'll tell you what, uh, you ready? It's, but to me, it's about the opt out stuff. To me, it's different situations. If you're a senior in, in this hot mess year and you're going to be a drafted in the first, second, third round and you're on a five and six football team and you don't want to go play in the whatever bowl and you, you grew up a poor kid and now you know you're going to get a signing bonus, you're about to be a millionaire. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 can, I can get that. You, you don't want to – you don't want to all – you know, suddenly – take money and food out of your out of your family's hands and mouth by getting injured in a meaningless bowl game that you don't even have a winning record. No doubt. Hey, Bubba, you ready to go to our guest? Yeah, on uh, Monday afternoon, Dave and I caught up with Mike Kennedy, longtime play-by-play voice of the Wichita State Shockers, and let's go to that conversation right now. Well, Bubba, we got some news here just a little bit ago. We were going to have this gentleman on, so we wanted to still have him on and very excited, very first time on the program. Yeah, Dave, unfortunately, um, early on Monday afternoon, found out that the East Carolina game out at Wichita State on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. will be postponed to a to-be-determined date, um, but we still want to go ahead and have this guy on and talk about what's going on with the Shockers. I welcome in their longtime play-by-play voice, Mike Kennedy. Mike, we, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you guys. I know, Mike, uh, starting out of the gate, you just told me right uh, pre-interview uh, that you've been with the Shockers, I think, your 41st season. Can you kind of give us an idea, uh, thumbnail sketch, some things that have happened over the years, that some maybe some milestones for the Shockers uh, that you've uh, witnessed? I've, I told you beforehand I'm a play-by-play nerd, so I love to find out more and more about the play-by-play voices in, around the country. Well, there's been a lot in that amount of time, as you would guess. Uh, the first seven years that I did play-by-play, we had a football program, and that was dropped in at the end of the 1986 season, and it was a, a financial thing. It was really dragging down the athletic department financially. Uh, so that was a, you know, a strange thing and an adjustment. Uh, when I first started, basketball was really good. Uh, Gene Smithson was the head coach, and then after him, Eddie Fogler. Uh, the, the very first year I was the full-time guy in 81, we went to the uh, Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament with Antoine Carr and Cliff Levingston and those guys, and uh, we're really good for a few years. And then we hit a stretch after Coach Fogler left, where for 13 years, 
the best record the basketball program had was two seasons where they were one game over 500. And it was, it was a long, dry period. And you kind of wondered as things were changing in college athletics, if they could ever get back. And then Mark Turgeon came in. And in 2006, we reached the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, which kind of, you know, demonstrated to everybody that it could still happen here, that it could, it could still be a really good national level program. And then when Coach Turgeon left, uh, Greg Marshall was hired and took it to levels that it's never been. Uh, prior to his arrival, uh, I think three different times, they'd been to back-to-back -back NCAA tournaments. We went to seven in a row under Coach Marshall, of course, reached a Final Four in 2013. So it's been a, a very special time. And then uh, Gene Stevenson started a baseball program in the late 1970s from absolute scratch. They had had baseball before. They had dropped it in 1970 and had not had a baseball program at all for seven or eight years, started it from scratch, and within three or four years was in the final game of the College World Series in 1982. That program stayed at a high national level for a long, long time. And then uh, toward the end of his tenure, uh, under Coach Stevenson, things slipped back a little bit, and he was fired a few years ago. And it's been kind of a rebuilding process, but uh, we're excited about Eric Wedge, who was one of the all-time greats here, being back, and I, I know you guys want to talk about that later, but uh, those have been some of the, the highlights and the ebb and flow, and uh, toward the end of, you know, during the, the 80s, uh, the Missouri Valley Conference in basketball was still a really, really good conference, and then starting in the 90s, it started to diminish a little bit from that standpoint, and, and, and recently, Part of the problem has been that some of the schools that have traditionally been strong, at least at various times in their history, have struggled with funding statewide, like in Missouri and Illinois. And it was just really difficult for those programs to get back to a level where they'd been, where Wichita State gets a lot of uh, community support, corporate support, individual entrepreneurial type support. And they were able to maintain their program at a a higher level and are really starting to dominate the conference after Creighton left. And so they were looking for an opportunity and, and to get into the American without having a football program anymore was just a tremendous achievement. And uh, we are very, very excited to be part of this conference. Now, Mike, like Dave said, going back to the late 70s, um, if I'm not mistaken, you are a Wichita State alum, correct? So uh, would you talk about your uh, connection with the program, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but that um, tragic plane crash back in 1970? I was a student there then. In fact, that was my senior year. And uh, we were, at that time, the, the student station was uh, able to do the home football and basketball games. And so I was involved. I had gotten to know some of those guys and the coaches a little bit. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that sticks with you the rest of your life. I can remember exactly where I was when I heard about it, uh, all the stuff that followed. Uh, and then my wife for a number of years was the executive director of the Alumni Association. And there have been some reunions and things, and there's a memorial ceremony every year on the date. But uh, there have been some reunions, and she and I have gotten to know some of those guys even a lot better. The, the guys that were on the team, not on that plane, even those guys, but some that were on the other plane and were part of that team. And it's a, it's a very special group. It's remained very close through the years. And, and so uh, it's been it's been rewarding in a lot of ways to get to know those people and be involved with them, but it's a, it's always still a, a very sad reminder. Mike, as far as uh, Wichita State with the Shockers, you mentioned with basketball, I'm always amazed with, and unfortunately that was one of the things I want to talk about with COVID and we hate, we can't play the game on Wednesday night the, there in Wichita, but the crowds at Wichita is, is so awesome to see. If you're a basketball fan, you don't want to see an arena not full. Uh, you want to see arena packed. And uh, and obviously, I think it's great for an opposing team to come into a venue and see almost like that six man, so to speak, which is the crowd. You guys have tremendous crowds uh, there in Wichita. 
you know, that tradition goes back to Ralph Miller, and that's a long time. That's, we're talking 70 years or so. Uh, football was kind of the main sport in the late 40s and into the start of the 50s. And then Ralph Miller came in as the basketball coach and not only built the program into a, a winning and successful program that started getting recognized at a national level, but they, they pushed the ball, played up tempo, they pressed full court a lot of times. And so it was an exciting style of basketball and that became the tradition and fans really got into it. And it has been that way ever since. When, when Wichita State basketball is good, there is nothing more galvanizing to the entire community. When they went to the Final Four in 2013, you can't even imagine what the atmosphere was like around the city. And so typically it's full all the time, 10,500. Even in that stretch I mentioned, those 13 years where there were some major struggles, we'd still have at least 7,500 fans for every game. So that's that's the kind of tradition and history that it has. And, and it is. It's a loud, exciting place. The other thing that was really good was it's been, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, I think, but they renovated the arena. But they were able to do a configuration that was still somewhat in keeping with the older uh, setup so that fans are still closer to the court than they are in some of the newest arenas. And so you still get that, that feeling and that atmosphere of the fans being right on top of you. Now, Mike, um, you know, let's go back, uh, I guess, roughly three months or so now, not quite um, as though we weren't dealing with enough with everything with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, just talk about everything that's happened there uh, with the program, with Coach Marshall um, preparing to enter his 14th season, like you said, unprecedented success. And um, just a shame um, with everything, um, a lot of which we still don't know um, that, that took place. Um, yeah. And, you know, when it first started, the, the first thing started coming out, um, it began, I think everyone knows, began with an article by a guy named Jeff Goodman. And uh, it started with, we had an unusual number of transfers last year. And without getting into a lot of detail, uh, somewhat ironically, the, the major issue with a lot of those guys leaving had really nothing to do with what this kind of turned into. There, weren't, there wasn't a lot of talk about how they were mistreated or whatever. A lot of it had to do with playing time and who was starting and they wanted a new opportunity somewhere. But in digging into that, he started going back and talking to players from previous eras. And, and that's what this whole thing kind of turned into. So uh, as you said, honestly, none of us, uh, some of us who are really close to the program uh, don't know exactly what did or didn't take place. And, and a couple of the incidents that, that, uh, happened or allegedly happened at practice. Uh, I wasn't there, my colleagues weren't there. So the strange thing was that at the time we didn't hear anything about it. I mean, it's been five years or whatever for some of this stuff to actually emerge. And so at first my thought was, I don't know how that could be possible and we wouldn't have heard about it. But all I can say is um, certainly the athletic director, the interim president, nobody involved in administration wanted to see an end to Coach Marshall's tenure. And so there had to be reasons that came out in this investigation that they felt like they had to make a certain stance and, and take a certain position. And, uh, and so the, the tenure came to an end as it, it came down as a resignation. And, uh, you know, everybody's sad, disappointed. Uh, I don't think anybody feels good about it. Darren Boatwright, the athletic director, said there certainly were no winners in any of this. And uh, I think everyone is grateful for, you know, what he accomplished. And, and as we said earlier, just unprecedented accomplishments on the court. Uh, but that's, uh, that's now history and, and we move on. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of life. You, you move on to the next situation. Mike, um, so then with Coach Marshall and, and the university parting ways, you had Isaac Brown. Um, Isaac had been there, what, seven seasons. And so talk about him being named interim coach because you look at his resume. He's a guy that's in his early 50s, had nearly 20 years of experience at the Division I level. And then um, Salt State, you, know, you name it. 
the the decision was somewhat easy from the standpoint that uh, when when the resignation when the final uh, developments in the Greg Marshall situation took place, they were I think less than two weeks away from the start of the season, and so it just doesn't make any sense to bring in someone from the outside who doesn't know the players, hasn't doesn't know the system, hasn't worked with this team. You had a staff in place that uh, had been practicing that knew the system. All of them were in at least their third year in the program. And then beyond that, as you said, Isaac Brown in his seventh year, a couple of the other guys were in their third. So it just, you know, it makes sense, fairness and seniority and all those kinds of things to give him the opportunity. And none of them had been head coaches in division one. So he was the logical choice. And, uh, you know, it's, it's on it. Actually, it's been, almost amazing to me that when you're around him and you see him working with the team and doing interviews and that sort of thing, you have this feel that it's a guy who has been a head coach for a while, as opposed to for the very first time in a, a long career. And I even asked him in an interview if, you know, if he had looked into other jobs, if he had explored any other opportunities, and he has over time, but uh, just wasn't involved with anything he felt like was really in his best interest where there was a good chance for long-term success. So he's been content to stay in an assistance role in a good program. And, uh, you know, I get asked all the time, well, you know, what'll it take for him to be the head coach full-time? What'll have to happen? I don't think anybody knows that right now. It's, he's doing a very good job. Certainly how successful the season is will be a big part of that, but it's also, a fairly young team and now with the new ruling by the NCAA potentially every one of these players could come back so I think some of it will come back to what kind of a relationship has he established do these guys want to stay and play for him because there's a lot of long-term potential in this group so there are a lot of factors that are going to come into play and it's a, an attractive job it's a good situation so you know there'll be interest from the outside as the year goes on so all of that's still kind of up in the air, but I would, I would say given everything that's happened, uh, it's about as good a situation as you could hope for. And uh, Mike, I want to ask you as far as recruiting goes, I know anytime there's a coaching change that hurts, uh, have you, I know you're not directly there with coaching and all that, but as far as your vantage point, are you seeing where it's helping or is it, do you think it'll hurt recruiting uh, moving forward? I would say right now it's probably just a little bit stagnant. They uh, had signed a young man from a local high school, uh, and he uh, actually hadn't signed. He had committed, would have signed in the early signing period, and because of the uh, unknown factors of what may happen, he uh, changed his mind, renounced his commitment, and then ended up signing with Tulsa, another school in our league. But uh, they're out there actively recruiting. Uh, again, the thing that's going to be weird for everyone now is under the new rules, uh, first of all, these guys that are in the program, even the seniors, will have another year. This year doesn't count under the, the ruling by the NCAA. And then you're going into a year where the new transfer rules will be in effect and anyone can go anywhere, be eligible immediately. So it makes the recruiting process a little more difficult just to start with because who knows how many spots you might have available on your roster. So uh, they're out there. I mean, th these guys, these are the guys that recruited this team and they've done a great job. And so um, I don't, I don't think if, if they keep everything together, guys stay happy and, and the major at least the majority of players stay, I don't think they have to land a big recruiting class, but uh, you know, again, a lot of it is just unknown things. Mike, before we talk about the roster and some of the guys that have been leading the way for the Shockers thus far through the first six games, and just give us a general overview of things. I know, I know they're four and two and um, have had back-to-back road wins in the American. Well, they started, as we may have mentioned, they were supposed to play in a, a three-team tournament in South Dakota. And that there again, that's just a, uh, an interesting development of COVID. That tournament was supposed to be in the Bahamas and uh, included Duke and, and some really big names. And then it got moved. They were going to try to move it, I think, to South Florida somewhere. And everybody was moving their tournaments there. So they ended up in South Dakota at the Sanford Pentagon, where we have played a game once before a few years ago. And, uh, and some of the tournament 
participants changed a little, Duke dropped out immediately. And then there were some others that were going to play in it and had positive COVID tests and had to drop out. Or there were two Ohio teams, Ohio State and Dayton, that dropped out because of the the rise in cases in their state and they were changing some rules about travel and so forth. But Wichita State was going to play. They'd had all negative tests on the Saturday before the week of the tournament, got up there on Monday, tested and had a couple of positive tests. So they had to drop out of the tournament, came home. And then in addition to the players that tested positive, there were a few that were exposed. So they ended up starting the season with just eight guys able to suit up played Oral Roberts and Missouri with just an eight-man roster, then started getting players back kind of gradually, and then played Oklahoma State. So they had a couple of tough early games, and those were the two losses that they played with kind of a short roster, although the, the guys that would have probably been the starters and part of the first seven or eight were available. And then, as, and then you know, some guys missed a lot of practice time. Craig Porter, who's a junior college transfer, very good guard, has missed a total of 42 days of practice because of, of COVID situations. So they're just now starting to get their whole roster together, able to practice with a full roster all the time and getting guys used to each other because there are a lot of new faces on this team. And so I think they've just kind of scratched the surface of what they can be, but they've had two good gritty road wins at Tulsa and South Florida that I think will really help their confidence, help this team develop and, and I think they're going to be a, a very good team as the year goes on. Mike, I know that as far as the Bubba's going to be talking about the roster here in a second, but I wanted to get your take being a play-by-play guy and uh, for the Pirates. What do you uh, not for the Pirates, but uh, you've uh, seen the program is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what do you feel about uh, Joe Dooley and his staff uh, and the players there in Greenville? Well, I'm certainly a believer in Joe Dooley and. Uh, saw what he did at Florida Gulf Coast, obviously, and, uh, you know, came in the first year there at ECU and, and had to just work with basically an inherited roster with one unbelievable find in Jaden Gardner. I mean, a guy that was basically unrecruited and has turned out to be one of the best players in our league. And then, you know, had almost a complete roster turnover last year, which he felt, you know, certainly was necessary. And so that takes some time to get that all worked together and figure it all out. So I think he's definitely got the program heading in the right direction. I haven't had an opportunity to see the Pirates yet this year, but uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously it's been a tough place to get some continuity going and win consistently, but he was there once before. I think he understands the situation and uh, might be the perfect guy to really get it headed in the right direction. Leading the way for Wichita State, it's been Tyson Etienne with uh, 17 points a game, and then also UConn transfer, a guy that we're very familiar with on both the Shockers and uh, East Carolina, Altariq Gilbert. Um, he's averaging, what, right around 12 points a game. So just talk about those two and um, what they've done up to this point. Well, I think of all the newcomers, the most important get was Altariq Gilbert because they needed a point guard. and they get an experienced Division I point guard, a former McDonald's All-American, so a very talented young man, and a guy who's been in this league at UConn. So he knows he knows the opposition. He knows the arenas. He, you know, he has all of that experience. Plus, he came in right from the beginning in the summer and started learning the system, spending a lot of time learning the system and, and getting familiar with everything. He's really dedicated himself to to being as good as he can be in this system and this program. And so he's been, he's brought leadership right away for a guy that's brand new to the program. And then Tyson Etienne had a very good freshman year, but beyond just what he's done on the court, he's an exceptional young man. Uh, he's a young man who he and his mother helped raise money for a, uh, a shelter in Harlem during the summer. He is from the New York City area uh, when COVID struck and they were, they were needing stuff. He was involved in that. He's just, he's a great young man. And so he also 
has you know developed into a, a leader and a great team guy and uh, he's worked on his game he was a very good three-point shooter did a lot of good things as a freshman but he's worked on other aspects of his game you can see that improvement so uh, you know those two guys and then you know we can talk about others but but the backcourt on this team is really the, the biggest strength If you would, and talk about some of those other key contributors in addition to um, the two we just spoke about. Well, the other the the other biggest guy in the backcourt uh, backcourt, Craig Porter, is a young man who was at Vincennes Junior College in Indiana, and Lou Godino, who is on Wichita State staffs in his third year now, uh, was an assistant coach at Indiana State for a number of years, and he knew Craig going back to early in his high school days, and so. Uh, when they were looking for players, he made contact with him and uh, really led that recruiting process. He's about 6'2". He's kind of sneaky athletic. You look at his junior college stats and he averaged almost two block shots a game at 6'2", a couple of steals a game. I mean, all the, the numbers were there. And he's, he's one of those guys, when I asked Isaac Brown about him before I'd had a chance to see him play, he said he's just a winner. He said he's one of those guys, whatever team he's on in a scrimmage, they win. And he's one of those guys that just brings whatever you need on that given night to, to the team. We haven't seen him score much yet, but he had uh, five of his seven points in the overtime at South Florida that were critical. Uh, he's great at, at having his head up all the time, seeing things, getting the ball to open shooters and stuff. So he's been a big addition. Um, there are three really talented freshmen. The only one that's seen much playing time yet is Ricky Council IV, who is from your areas, from North Carolina. And uh, he is athletic as all get out, explosive. He had three rebounds in the Tulsa game that I swear his elbows were on the rim. And uh, he has shown no fear. He didn't get to play much until about the fourth game of the year because he was one of the exposed people to COVID that had to do some quarantining. But uh, he's been a big addition actually really pushing Dexter Dennis, who's one of the team's most veteran players. And then, uh, you know, they returned Morris Udeze, who had some experience inside and, uh, and returned Trey Wade, who was a starter from last year, and then picked up a young man named Clarence Jackson, Monzi Jackson, a junior college transfer, who's just a sophomore, 6'6", really active, aggressive type of player who has added a lot to the front line. And uh, a young man named Josephat Bilal, who was a redshirt freshman last year, 6'10", about 230 pounds, but very athletic, pretty skilled, uh, still pretty raw as a basketball player. He didn't really start playing the game much. He's from France until uh, kind of midway of what would be his high school years. But a lot of upside, and he's had a lot of little nagging injuries, hasn't played a lot yet, but he's had a couple of pretty significant stretches in the games he has played. Mike, I was going to ask you, as far as upcoming schedule, um, I know that you were talking about because of, uh, unfortunately, again, with the Pirates not being able to come to Wichita because of COVID issues and the contact tracing, you said pre-interview, you guys are going to try to get a D2 game in there to fill the Pirates uh, void right now? There is a, there's a local D2 program, Newman University, and I think that they're working on getting them to play on Wednesday so they don't have uh, such a long gap between games since their last one. We go to Mississippi on Saturday. That's a last scheduled non-conference game. And uh, they picked up a D2 game with Emporia State a uh, week, week and a half ago uh, to pick up because they lost those three games in South Dakota. So they have a little room on the schedule. I think that it, they're having to get some approval from the league as we speak to uh, play another D2 opponent, but I would think that will probably happen. A lot of people are having to do that to kind of fill out their schedule. And then uh, Mississippi on Saturday, and then it's just full bore into the league schedule. And from what I saw in the, uh, the league release that they'll try to get Wichita State and ECU scheduled here sometime between now and the 21st of February when Wichita State's due to come down there. And if not, then they'll play twice here on that date and the following date, the 21st and 22nd of February. I would think that they'll figure something out to get the game in here and then they'll come back down there uh, for the second game. But that would be a, 
I, I know some leagues are actually going to that quite a bit, playing playing an opponent twice on one trip, either back-to-back -back days or with a day in between, uh, to try to get all the games in. You know, you says on the council the fourth, and then also um, also Tyson at the end. Um, I saw a couple of the uh, highlight reel dunks those guys had against USF. But yeah, Etienne's was uh, a little bit of a surprise. He had one last year, but he drove the baseline and just really threw it down, went up over a couple of guys. And that, you know, just kind of surprised everybody a little bit. That's not something he does a lot, although he's pretty athletic. And Ricky Council is uh, just a freak athlete. He'll, he'll have a lot of dunks in his career, but he's also got a, a pretty well-rounded game. He's getting better as a ball handler. Uh, his his mid to long range shooting is not his strongest suit yet, but certainly has some potential and uh, really has a nose for the ball. He's a great instinctive rebounder and uh, by far is the team's best rebounder in terms of uh, per minutes played. His, his 40 minute average would be about 17 rebounds per 40 minutes. <clears throat> Mike, let's uh, shift gears now. I know that uh... One of the things we love is uh, with baseball, uh, one of our dear friends of the show, Corey Glor, hooked us up with you. So uh, first off, what are your, uh, before we dive into Wichita State, what are your thoughts on Corey Glor? Uh, we could give you a whole hour's worth of uh, commentary on him. <laughs> well, great guy, first of all, uh, just a really, really super guy and uh, was one of the guys first time around the league that was just the easiest to get to know, most open and friendly and conversational, uh, but also does an excellent job. I mean, I've heard him a little bit. And, and in fact, uh, I got in a situation year before last where we finished the season at uh, USF and then the team was just going right from there over to Clearwater for the conference tournament. There were a couple of days in between and uh, I needed to get back home for a little bit. And then I was going to come down the day before the tournament. And then we had unbelievable rains all over the Midwest. I couldn't get a flight. And it finally ended up I wasn't going to make it for our first game, the opening day of the tournament. So I got a hold of Corey and arranged to get a feed of the, the broadcast of his broadcast. We were playing ECU. And, uh, you know, did a great job and, and was conscious of, uh, you know, not just being totally pro ECU. It was a very professional broadcast. So I, I have the greatest respect for him. And the fact if you listen to his, uh, the broadcast, he, he does a lot of great things. Uh, people think, which they're wrong, uh, but a casual person that doesn't know anything about play-by-play, -play, and I'm not a play-by-play -play guy, let me just say that, even though I have to fill in from times in high school and different things, but, um, but people think baseball is easy. I think baseball is one of the hardest sports to call. Uh, what do you think? It is the hardest, without any question, uh, primarily because, you know, the pace of the game is not that difficult. It, it doesn't move so fast, not like doing hockey or something. But uh, there is, at times, quite a bit of time between pitches. Um, and, and then you also, the pace is different depending on the day, because a lot of it depends on the pitcher who's on the mound. And even within the same game, you might have one pitcher that's working pretty fast and the other one takes more time. And so you have to keep adjusting to how much time you have between pitches, get a feel for how much stuff you can get in the way of stats or information or telling a story. Uh, so it, it really is as far as pace and staying consistent and, and fluid, it's uh, it is the most difficult game to do, but for that reason, to, for me, it's the most fun. He has a thing that Another. you need to ask him about is uh, movie lines that he that we give him, and he finds a way to work those in uh, the broadcast. So if you have any favorite movie lines, be sure to give that to me. <laughs> it's a really that's, cool thing that he does. That's a little more creative and clever than I'm probably capable of, but, but thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> Yeah, another challenge to doing baseball, um, you talk about how, you know, you're doing your best to try to avoid having that dead air, uh, which seems like an eternity when you have it. <laughs> but, you know, you know, um, as far as that goes, when you don't have a color analyst, um, which is oftentimes the case for, for Corey in previous years before Malcolm Gray started doing that, uh, and that that's something that really, you know, it makes it much more challenging as well. 
It, it does. And you know, the other thing that's great about having an analyst, especially if you have a good one, is that you get locked in on certain things and especially doing play-by-play. -play. I mean, you have your first things you've got to focus on, the, the movement of the ball and what's happening on the play. Uh, and so you can kind of get locked into that and a certain train of thought. And a lot of times a good analyst will just bring up a point of view or something that you wouldn't have necessarily thought of that leads you in a, in a really good direction, into a really good discussion or just making a certain point that you might not have thought of without somebody else being there. So I think that's, and I, and I think the extension of that is that makes it a lot more enjoyable for the people listening. Or as uh, Wichita State, uh, just a general baseball question when it comes to college baseball. Have you heard anything on uh, delaying the season some? That's my gut feeling that it'll be March before we get started. I don't know anything on that. That's just a gut feeling of uh, people we've talked to. But what do you think about college baseball? Have you guys heard anything? I have not, but, um, and I, you know, I just kind of touch base with the coaching staff once in a while, but, but not very much this time of year. And, and again, uh, things are just so much different. Um, usually a typical basketball season, uh, the baseball coaches will be at the games or at some of the games. They might even come by and say hi, and you get a chance to face to face, you know, talk with them a little bit. So I have not, um, Certainly that wouldn't bother us a whole lot if it got moved back a little bit because in this part of the country, uh, you get some awful cold weather in the early part of the season. So starting a little later, I don't think would, uh, would be a big deal for anyone here. Mike, here within the last several days on the scheduling front, um, it was announced, you know, in general terms that the American Athletic Conference um, you know, would be playing 56 games and that uh, 32 of those would be league games as opposed to 24 in the past. So um, what were your thoughts on that? Um, you know, you'd have four game uh, conference series rather than three, and then the non-conference games would start when league play begins. I, uh, yeah, I had heard that, and uh, we used to play four game weekend series in the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm not a big fan of double headers, especially as much as I might've been when I was younger. But, uh, you know, I've done it before. It's, you know, and I understand the reasoning behind it. Uh, we are fortunate. I had heard rumors about not playing any midweek games or whatever, and, and that would have been unfortunate because we have a good schedule. Uh, we can play in the midweek with a lot of good area schools around here, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Most of them will, will play every year and, and play maybe one game there, one game at our place. Uh, Missouri State was always a good rivalry when they were in, we were in the same conference, and that's a four to five hour drive, so that's, that's very doable as a midweek non-conference situation, so uh, I would have hated to see that go by the wayside. You know, I can understand if you're not going to play a California team on a weekend series uh, before your conference schedule starts, but to, to maintain uh, the midweek games, I think is important, not only from a fan standpoint and fan interest, and I, and I know you guys down there play a lot of games uh, in the midweek against area schools from your state and, and nearby that, that the fans are interested in, but also you need a chance to develop some pitchers in those midweek games, maybe play some of your guys that don't get to play all the time on the weekend. So there's, there's a lot of value in those games for a lot of reasons. Yeah, earlier in the interview, you talked about Eric Wedge and, you know, bringing um, a guy in that is well aware, um, you know, took part in Shocker baseball and when they were competing for and winning national titles under coach Gene Stevenson. So just unfortunately last year, year one got short, got cut short, excuse me, uh, what, like a 13-2 and two start um, when things um, were put to bed for the 2020 season. So just um, talk about, you know, all the excitement with Coach Wedge coming back. And then you also have a guy, a tremendous coach in his own right, Lauren Hibbs, who's a Wichita State guy who had had a lot of success in my area um, at Charlotte. Well, Eric Wedge, even back to the days when he was a student, a college player, was one of the, the greatest natural leaders that I have ever been around. Just has all those inherent characteristics that make a great leader. And then of course, demonstrated that as a major league manager. Uh, there, there are very few people in my whole history of, of uh, broadcasting that I have 
liked as much, been inspired by as much as Eric Wedge. So I was tremendously excited when I thought there was any possibility that he might come back and become the head baseball coach. And he's been, in the short time that he's been here, everything that I certainly would have expected. Um, one thing that was really interesting, uh, and, and, and you mentioned Lauren Hibbs, and Lauren and I have been friends forever. He was a player here when I first started doing Shocker Baseball, and then was an assistant coach, was an assistant coach on the national championship team in 89, and then, of course, had a long run as the head coach at Charlotte. He and I have kept in touch over the years. Uh, just a tremendous individual, and he and Eric Wedge have had a tremendous relationship back to the time when Eric was playing and, and Lauren was an assistant coach here. So to get them both back was was really special for me personally and I think that they felt like coming in certainly Lauren was familiar with a lot of the teams in our league and just the caliber of baseball played in that part of the country and I think they felt like it was going to take a, a good year or two of of having really good recruiting classes to bring the talent level at Wichita State up to where a lot of the best teams in the conference are like ECU but I think that uh, they were able to get a little more out of the guys that were already here. A couple of the freshmen they brought in uh, maybe surprised them a little bit. And I think they were really pleased with that part of the development. And then Eric Wedge in an interview said something that I thought was interesting. I asked him a question about culture. And he said, I, it takes two or three years to really build a culture, maybe more sometimes. But what we're trying to change first is mindset. We're trying to develop a mindset here. And I think there was certainly some evidence of that in the few games that they got to play last spring. They, they had a couple of walk-off wins, a couple of come-from-behind wins, where you could see that the team started gaining some confidence, believing in themselves, that, that they could get some of those kinds of things done. And so I think the, the mindset has changed. Uh, certainly the expectations are high on how you conduct yourself and your work ethic and all those things. And so I think they definitely have it moving in the right direction. I think it was uh, significant that one of their – uh, fall practices, fall scrimmages. Uh, there, I heard there were like 30 professional scouts there. So obviously there is some belief that, that the talent level is, is rising in this program and that there's something to be excited about. And you guys, you guys still, is it a minor league stadium that used to be a minor league team that used to be that where you guys play at Wichita? No, this was a, the stadium was built for Wichita State. And when okay. Gene Stevenson started the program, there wasn't anything there on campus and that's been built over time it's been uh, kind of at its present level and configuration for a few years although they continue to develop and add to it they've they've uh, redone some of the they've redone the locker rooms they've added an indoor practice facility in the last few years they continue to work on it and develop it but uh, it's always been in the physical location where it's been back to the the early 1980s and uh, and it is an on-campus facility and uh, obviously want to have you back. We're going to do an American preview uh, for the for the league. Love to have you back. And of course, with the basketball team, uh, it's hard to believe with the, I think it's almost like a shell game on the street. We don't know what the, where Bubba and I are so used to, we're scheduled geeks and we're like, okay, we've got coming up this game, this game, this game. And all of a sudden it's like, no, you don't. Just like, so thank you so much for the long visit. We appreciate you so much and for your time and uh, look forward to having you back. You've been a real pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure to be on with you guys. And uh, as you said, who knows when we might play again, but, uh, but sooner or later, it's going to happen. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll have uh, Mike back on with, uh, with the Wichita States, obviously the Shockers playing that game plus uh, baseball uh, with the Americans going to be interesting. So we'll have him on, I'm sure uh, in the coming weeks. So, Thanks again, Mike. What a great, uh, what a treasure, man. I tell you, he was uh, so great to us and great to Wichita State for all these years. Again, 41 seasons, guys. Wouldn't it be nice to have a sports objective for 41 years? That would be fantastic. Um. <laughs> Wait, Kyle's not sure. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle wow. Uh, yeah, I don't years. know. <laughs> Well, in March will be a year three, so we have 38 years to go, Kyle. So <laughs> here, here we sit, and uh, hey, just look at it this way: you'd love to be alive uh, when it comes. Um, <laughs> let's see what two 2058. So 
<laughs> here, here we sit near 80 years old and uh, doing the podcast. Yeah, we'd be over 80. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. 78. Uh, or 70, yeah. You guys can come to the home and, and help me out do the show. You can, like, twist the <laughs> dials for me. <laughs> Let's roll Dave out and do the show, and we'll roll him back to his room. So, yeah, Dave, hey, 90. But no, Dave, speaking of college baseball, um, here, I guess maybe two or three hours ago, um, I saw Jake Kuchmaner was recognized by D1 Baseball. Uh, they were just talking about um, the fall report for the Pirates. And um, so Aaron Fitt and those guys do a tremendous job. They said that uh, Jake Kuchmaner talked about him going 7-2 and two in 2019. And then last year, prior to uh, everything getting shut down, he was off to a 4-0 start and had an ERA of just point six zero. Yeah, that the the thing that hurts me the most is uh, the baseball season because uh, with Cliff Godwin, I really thought that we had another super regional team. Who knows what we can't speculate because we don't know. But there was so much talent on that team. But the good news is um, there's uh, even more talent. I'll tell you what, guys, the one thing that we've always had hitting, we've had some pitching, but more and more, it seems like every season Cliff Godwin has been getting more and more pitching and that's what we need to go to Omaha don't you guys think that's what I mean we've had pitching but not the level as far as number of guys that we have now oh yeah, yeah. Cliff, Cliff has publicly said um, that this is undoubtedly his deepest staff um, the program's deepest staff um, since he has um, been in charge and obviously um, that that would apply to um, any any other coaches on um, staffs as well. We've had some tremendous pitching through the years, but we've never been anywhere close to as deep as we are right now. And you think about having Gavin Williams, Jake Kuchmaner, and uh, Tyler Smith all back the, the weekend three. And then you have other guys, um, you know, like C.J. Mayhew, who were off to a tremendous start last year. Yeah, and another interesting thing about Tom opting out um, with baseball, you know, and Hopefully, as we get closer and closer to the spring, the vaccines get more and more prevalent. But I, uh, I wonder with, with spring sports and baseball being a non-revenue sport, and it's and at some schools, you know, uh, not a priority, even though they're successful, like some of the Pac-12 schools. Um, I wonder how many teams aren't going to play baseball this spring. Um, I wonder if it's going to be a, uh, a condensed field of uh, a baseball program that they're playing this spring. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, you, you know, if they're playing baseball, East Carolina is going to be playing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see who doesn't. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, along with a lot of other Olympic sports, some, um, some universities don't do any of their Olympic sports this, uh, this, this, this year until, you know, we turn over for the new fall 2021 calendar. Before we, uh, before we go, I have one final question to ask you guys. We'll, we'll do some promotion of, stuff we have coming up and get out of here but one final question that is uh, I got my vaccine today and and I had an idea I wanted to share it on the podcast I want to get you guys thoughts on this uh, wouldn't it make sense with uh, obviously frontline workers and we know everybody that's what that means but why not uh, college athletes as well to go ahead and get the uh, the uh, vaccine and then that way that a lot of uh, the season as far as basketball, baseball, Olympic sports, football, you name it, that would be uh, maybe potentially saving, have all the athletes where you don't have to worry about contact tracing, uh, with coaches, staff, the whole nine yards. What do you guys think? Um, I, I, I see why you would say that. And I do think it makes some sense. But also when you get down just from the health aspect of it, um, you, you would say those are fair, fairly low risk um, people in terms of getting uh, uh, extremely sick from it. They're young, they're in good shape. And, you know, very few have underlying conditions. Um, so you, you, that's why you wouldn't want to do it. But uh, I, I get from a, from a cost saving standpoint for the university and being those kids that are out there in large part to entertain us. I, I could, I, I would be in favor of it, but I think you get a lot of negative backlash from people who don't give a crap about college sports. Well, the reason I brought that up is being that uh, we always talk about the financials and 
East Carolina and even the quote unquote power five schools are going to be struggling uh, with Olympic sports, just the whole nine yards when you can't see a lot of those uh, stadiums that are not full this year um, and football and some basketball arenas uh, this year, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But anyway, that was just an idea I had uh, earlier today is after I got my shot, they make you sit. I had to wait about 15 or 20 minutes while I was waiting. I was like, maybe that's a way that we could save college sports in particular. But uh, anyway, we have a great show, Kyle, that I want to remind folks about uh, last night that we did with uh, Rennie Angolia, the ESPN analyst, of course, you at Mass Hall of Famer. It was great. And get this, uh, Kyle, we're going to have a uh, year-end show. Um, you know how we do our year-end show. Uh, this year, we're going to actually um, get some fan feedback on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or maybe some of their fam- favorite moments, favorite guests, maybe some not-so-favorite moments. I don't know. Uh, but we'll do that in a couple days. Uh, to Obviously, it's hard to believe, dude, that uh, we made it through 2020. Sometimes it feels like it took two or three years worth that right, number right. of days. To we get got two days left. So don't speak too soon. That's true. That's true. Anything is possible with uh, with COVID. But uh, certainly we're glad that a lot of people, including you and Bubba, a lot of people that I know personally that uh, have gotten the virus that are better. Uh, my neighbor is better. Thank God. I prayed hard for him uh, for a long time. He was the worst of, uh, as far as the people I know that have made it, he was the worst. And um, he's, he's at home. Um, it's going to take some time to get him back to full strength, but he is getting better every day. And so I'm tickled to death about that. That's uh, he's a lot better. So anyway, uh, we'll have our end of the year show coming up uh, probably on uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, something like that. And we'll take your feedback. We appreciate uh, Bubba so much. Thanks to our great guest, Kyle, Mike Kennedy, longtime play-by-play voice of the Wichita State Shockers. And Kyle, you're well-rested. You sound fantastic. And we're glad to have you back, dude. And uh, certainly looking forward to a hard-to-believe, man. In March 1st is three years you've been with me. Yeah, coming up on three years of doing this. And uh, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully three more. Sounds good. Hopefully everybody had a good holiday. We look forward to a great year in 21. In the meantime, you've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast.